literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found. We sure appreciate you tuning in. And this is exciting time for myself, J.B. Hager, and Michael Barnes. Uh, we've been doing this for just over a year. And the original intent was to have iconic Austinites as guests. And, of course, COVID threw a big wrench into that. Uh, now that we are here in, in May of 2021 and people are getting their vaccines, we're, we're reconnecting as humans. And the city feels like it's coming back to life. This is, again, part two. You should go back to part one to hear a little bit of the uh, the setup about our guest in here, Eddie Wilson, uh, most famously known for Armadillo World Headquarters. And, and Threadgills. And Threadgills for many, many years. But, uh, uh, yeah, go listen to that and pick up his memoir about Armadillo World Headquarters. It is a great read, and you will it's thank It's one us. of the essential books of Austin history. Agreed, agreed. But we have a list that was sent in by uh, one of our listeners, Emery Goss, sent this in. And uh, we're just kind of rattling through all these iconic Austin uh, restaurants around Dead town. restaurants. Dead yeah. restaurants. <laughs> <That are known. laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and Eddie's just kind of rattling through us and sharing some stories and memories. And uh, it's good to have you back, Eddie. Well, thank you. I'll yeah. rattle anytime. <laughs> so let's jump right into this part to list uh and very top of again you can go through at your own pace here but uh, everybody uh brings up convict hill restaurant at some point was that in that stone building that's the it's known for the building i've never yeah. known anything about the food or the restaurant function but it's one of the oldest and finest uh, examples of of you know wild west architecture anywhere in Texas. It's just a beautiful place. You know, it's out on the right near the Y yeah. of two ninety seventy one, and it's named for um, the people who were working in a quarry up on the hill, Oak Hill. They were convict. It was convict labor, uh, and they were cutting stone for the capital in in, in eighteen eighty eight. You can go visit that quarry. It, it's not very spectacular now. It's kind of filled in, but hmm. you knew I would add something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. But uh, you know, you, you know, you can uh, elaborate on that if you want to, Eddie, or you can jump on to uh, something else on this list as you as you scroll down it. I, I've come up with several places that. Uh, that are not on this list that uh, that I missed, but then again, I guess when the list starts and stops is a big part of the uh, big part of the whole the whole thing. The Tamale House, mm. oh Tamale House, the Tamale yeah. House on First and Congress, right, right, right. had the you know easily the best location in the city of Austin, and then that, sold out for a mint. We sold out <laughs> sold out for a good hunk of change for sure, especially considering where they came from, you know. But it was uh, the Tamale House. Was the greatest place in the world to pick up a sack of uh, of enchiladas and and tacos 
to go. There was no place to sit down. It was just a little a place smaller than this airstream uh, that that just cooked all the time. When I finally reached my tipping point at the armadillo and had to sneak off and and uh, and hide. I uh, found a little place uh, on Sabine Street that became the Raw Deal, which be- had a restaurant life that is worthy of the list of dead restaurants for sure. But uh, it was uh, on Sabine Street, right across the creek from the police station. And uh, nobody knew I'd found it. And, and uh, I got it for $100 a month rent. And I would leave the armadillo and stop at the tamale house and get me a big bag of grease. And, and the, it was, you know, in a regular craft wrapper color uh, a bag that was just totally sopping wet with grease by the time I could get into the raw deal. And I would, uh, I would go over there and, and uh, oh, I told Ar- Armadillo did such an incredible volume of beer that when the beer truck drivers heard that I was going to do another place, that's what they heard, they were on pins and needles about it, and their bosses at the distributorship were really happy about it. So the day that I, I made the announcement that I was on the way over to the raw deal, Every beer distributor's truck pulled up to the front of the raw deal, and they wheeled in a dolly with ten cases of beer, and stacked them all in the in the room. And then they started looking around. Well, where where's the rest of the place? And then there was not room enough in that place to store all that beer, uh, much less uh, much less fulfill their dreams. She had some big time names that ate there and. Regularly, right. Well, we we ended up with a, with a, the the Friday tradition of uh, it was actually David and Richards with a draw, and uh, and all and their friends, uh, the the people that later became known as Mad Dog Incorporated with Jerry Jeff and all of those folks. We saw Jerry Jeff coming for the first time. I had an attitude about Jerry Jeff and and uh, and performing in public. I always thought that the people that really were so desperate for a stage were going to have to find somebody else to provide their stage. I was tired of putting up with them. We <laughs> saw Jerry Jeff coming and got the, got a sign made out of a cardboard box and crayons that we put over the front door that said, uh, no guitars, leave them in your car. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> it was one of it was a failed effort, but uh, yeah. Now on this list, one that I really liked, but was a special events place, was Basil's over on South Lamar, right above the creek. Uh, it was an Italian place. Yeah, it was a tiny little place, tiny little, little place. place. Yeah, but they actually made really good Italian food. Mm. It was one of those you know white napkin places that. Now or everywhere, but, but but back then I was still yeah. in in graduate school, and it, it was like once a year I could afford to go a place like that. Mm-hmm. Quack and bushes, quacks. quacks. <laughs> that was Forty Third and Duval, I believe. Now, yes. Oh, 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 it used to be on little, the drag. There was a place on the drag, and then they got a second one on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I never went to the one on the drag. I went into the one on Duval a lot because I was raised it right there. And so I watched a lot of that evolution of yeah. that little shopping center. So was the one on Duval the first? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Well, it was one of the only two or three coffee houses in town. Now, if you yeah. can imagine that now when there's one on every single mm-hmm. corner. But there was Quacks. 
And then there was a, a lesbian spot down off of Sixth Street Chicago House. Yeah, yeah. And then how many others? I don't know. That was about it. Oh, later, uh, early in the 90s, Little City opened on Congress Avenue, and that was my favorite spot. There was a place across from Laza Me. A coffee place? It was a coffee place that uh, Fletcher, Fletcher Boone uh, had something to do with. And uh, I got back from, I had an extended uh, adventure in, uh, in Zihuatanejo, Mexico in the mid-60s. And I got back from Zihuatanejo and went into that coffee house because Lightning Hopkins was playing. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, so I, I spoke from the back of the room to request uh, uh, Deep Ellum Blues. I wasn't sure that he had heard me, so I said it again a little bit louder, and he snapped back at me. He said, that's a white man's blues. <laughs> <laughs> he shut me down. Wow. I, yeah. I can't let you just skim past that term, extended adventure in Mexico. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I went to Zihuatanejo, Mexico, because I heard Timothy Leary was going. Mm. And uh, so I decided that I needed to meet Timothy Leary. He had just been run out of Zihuatanejo when I got there. The extended adventure started at the Tecpan River, which had a collapsed bridge underneath the surface of the water. And I was in a Volkswagen bug. And uh, I made it across. The water came up to within a couple, three inches of my door handles, but it didn't leak into the car. And I, wow. made it all. I had to hire people. The night I got there and turned around and went back because I couldn't see what was going on, uh, there was a, a Greyhound bus-sized vehicle turned over on its side in the river because he had gotten off from the concrete. And uh, the next day when I got back, it was it was gone. The guys were hanging around the shore screaming that they were a peso, a peso, a peso. And I didn't know what they were trying to do. I didn't speak Spanish. But I went ahead and pulled off into the water and got just about even with the water at my door handle level when the front wheels started to float. Oh. And I realized how good those guys would be for me sitting on the hood of the car. Mm. And so for a peso apiece, they piled on the hood of the car <laughs> and I, wow. got, I got across it. And then it was just mud tracks from the buses that had been going back and forth across and uh, got into Zihuatanejo, uh just in time to realize that I was maybe at the end of the trail and uh, ended up staying there for, for six months. Leary was gone, but uh, his influence still was there. Yeah, you know, I, not to go uh, too much on a tangent, but I'm going to bring it back because you bring up Timothy Leary. And now in 2021, people are looking back at those pioneers of psychedelics and going, they really knew what they were talking about, and they're having all these breakthroughs it, with it, mental it didn't health. Didn't that take a long time? Yeah, it, it's it's proving that they were brilliant, right? On the heels of that, do you ever have these moments where you're looking at what's happening in Austin with music, with restaurants, with everything you did, and going, "I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. I was right." Do you ever have moments like that? I'm real hesitant to ever claim to be right because it doesn't take but just, you know, one more step and you go off the curb. I have a friend now that, that attended all of uh, Leary's trials in Laredo. 
and I, I'm, I'm hesitant now to say his name because I, I'm sure it's okay and he wouldn't probably mind, but he took a big fat joint with him every day to the trial. And during the lunch break, he and Leary sat at, at a, a table in the shade in that town square in Laredo and smoked a joint while the FBI and all those people were standing around watching. <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of gall that our team had. And it went a long way toward getting us some experiences we wouldn't have had if we would have been a little bit more scared. So Lazy Me is on this list. Now, it, it was beloved despite the fact it did terrible service and the food wasn't that great and the wine was... Well, the wine was cheap. Yeah, yeah, it had. I think that was one of the key things, and it was beautiful. The the atmosphere was lovely. The short shorts, patio, that too. The short shorts, uh, uh, Me had uh, all the cachet you could possibly want. It had all the all the, the the shiny youth, and it was right across the street from it that, that little folk house was, and then that huge. Uh, tower of uh, dwellings went up. Yeah, the first of those. Yeah. Dorm towers. Well, we also have on here uh, Las Manitas. That was a big meeting place. That for was years a controversial one when that went yeah. away. Three, yeah. the th- the three sisters. Yeah, the three sisters did a wonderful. And you went there job. for breakfast tacos yeah. and to have a power breakfast. Yeah. Everybody there was somebody big yeah. in City Hall. It was just a couple of blocks from City Hall. It was a very defiant sort of sort of uh, champion of the of the people. Those. Uh, those Mexican American sisters that ran that thing were really, really good. And for those you you who unfortunately don't remember it, it's where the Marriott is on Congress now, <laughs> and, and that's quite a different yeah. establishment. Yeah. Than, <laughs> there was also Jaime Spanish Village, which was still there. The building's still there. The yeah. salsa lives on. Ah, yeah. They and what, to make and, and his mother. I uh, had the place that I didn't find on here that's the real big restaurant with a huge parking lot that's closed uh, right behind Cisco's. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. Mm-mm. Yeah, that, I remember I remember that, uh, that restaurant because <laughs> but she was a big, dynamic woman. And uh, my my parents never ever went out to eat unless perhaps it would be to one of the fried chicken places uh but relatives came in from louisiana and and some of them had some spicier desires and so we went to that we went to that big big, that big place right behind uh right next to cisco's and i found the in my guacamole i found the shell of a English pea. <laughs> and I asked the woman at the door as we were leaving about did she use English peas in her guacamole? <laughs> and the woman recognizes me on sight from across the street for the next 30 years and scared me every time I saw her. She <laughs> looked a hole through me. But uh, it was very definitely a, a discovery. Well, outside of Threadgills, where you obviously spent countless hours. Where did you hang out the most? What was your go-to place for food? I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I don't, uh, Just mental floss. Yeah, I've got... Uh, I see on this list Hudson's on the Bend. Did you ever go out there? It was I, out on Lake Travis. And exotic meats. 
game. Yeah. You could, that's one of the only places in town you could get game. Yeah. He and had a great reputation. That was one of that first round of high-end places like Jeffrey's and, you know, that were trying real hard to push the boundaries of Austin cuisine. Now, Jeffrey's is not on here because I guess they're still using the Jeffrey's name. Yeah, yes. yeah. The yeah. McGuire Mormon, which runs it now. That's that's. I couldn't think of the name of those people that took it over. They're, they're, it's even fancier than the old Jeffrey's. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't have been hard. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I thought Jeffrey's was pretty fancy. Yeah, Jeffrey's yeah. was. It was really fancy, especially at the price at the end of the meal. Uh, but uh, I had a wonderful experience. One of my dear friends from uh, from for many years was Galen Barber, who uh, uh, was passed out under something the first three times I met him, and I hired him to work at at uh, Armadillo, and then at Threadgill's, and then uh, he he worked for Artie Osborne. Just died just a couple of years ago. I was getting close to being ready to open Threadgill's, and I, I wanted to get my hand in the hot water. And so Galen was a, a dishwasher at Jeffrey's. Without asking Ron or Peggy or anybody, I just showed up one weekend to wash <laughs> dishes at Jeffrey's. And you scamp. And, and the dishwashers ate, you know, the leftover food off the people's plates. <laughs> you know, I never thought of that. That's well, a think about great it. angle. Think of, well, think about it. The, the, the same time that all that expensive food came to town, so did cocaine. And wow. nobody could, you know, use cocaine and have any kind of appetite. Oh, that's true. So they would order all that expensive food and then not even clean their plate. And so my job as the, as the, the, uh, the, the the new kid dishwasher in the back end of Jeffrey's was to run over to the convenience store just before it closed at midnight and get a 12-pack for us to drink while we watched the rest of the dishes that night. Yeah, I got my hand back in the water all right. So we were talking earlier about Christie's, which was right around the corner from the Armadillo, and it was a big old Houston seafood restaurant that was in a shape of a of a boat yeah a modernist version of a boat <laughs> it was right on the lake where the hyatt is now <laughs> and it was considered dress up to go out to eat yeah it was. it was a fancier place than than uh, than than usual for austin and cider z i remember the name but i don't remember it, it had a it was up on burnett road and it had a a little uh a windmill? A windmill. That's right. A windmill. It, it had, uh, it had everything, all but wooden shoes. Yeah. <laughs> El Gallo, and that was one of the, the classic yeah. Tex-Mex places. And that, that, went on. that property's now fenced up. And yeah. Will be yeah. On South Congress. Something yeah. big. Well, it was going to be condos, but then the family couldn't agree on the land mm. use, and, uh, or so I was told, yeah. allegedly. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, another yeah. place I never did get to. It wasn't. It was good. It yeah, was, it was, there was a nice so. family feel there. Everybody said so. I just never got there. Did you have any thoughts when you you saw also the, um, uh, you know, again it was a tough year with both Threadgills closing, but uh, and a lot of people have such fond memories of that. But also seeing the iconic Shady Grove close its doors. What were your thoughts on that? It has. 
Shady yeah. Grove? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. I guess I knew that. The building's not gone, but right. the right, restaurant's right. gone. Yeah. It's really been a, a, a quarantined year or so for me. I really hadn't seen a whole lot of... I've just been flabbergasted every time I get out now uh, that uh, the changes that are, are just, just stupefy me. Pit barbecues. That was the one that... Fifth Street. On Fifth Street. Fifth Street. Just just off the interstate on Fifth Street. Uh, okay. Uh, Mr. Threadgill used to sing there. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Threadgill, one of the saddest things I've ever seen was going in there and Kenneth being passed out on the bar and somebody coming along and kind of punching him like this and he would go yodeling. <laughs> so was it next to Matamoros, El, El Mat, or was it across the street? Across the street. Okay. That's not on this list, but that everybody talks about. Who? El Matt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody had several met or one. There were a couple of big Mexican restaurant operators, and one of them had several different places. Right, right. And uh, now that we need to distinguish that from uh, this is Matamoros, and, and of course, everybody knows uh, Matt's El Rancho right, is right. completely different. And it used to be located where the Four Seasons is now, and they made a good deal and moved yeah. out to beautiful land on yeah. South Lamar, yeah. which they still do really good business. Yeah, I would guess it's just, uh, if you look all the way back into the 55 directory and mm -hmm. look for restaurants that are still here, you'll almost always find that it's a Mexican family mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that hung in there. The family kept it together. Yeah, the girls, right. the girls in the family, I think, right. kept that one together. You know, I got. I have to ask you is because, especially Armadillo World Headquarters being so iconic. I I've got to. I mean, the book is a great thing, and again, everyone should pick up that memoir. But do you get approached for someone to license the name and and put something out, make a a slice of life movie about the scene that took place because the, the, it's it's such a defining moment anybody that stepped step foot in that place the way they talk about it is just unbelievable and and I just missed it by a bit I was I wasn't old enough but there's there's so much there that I got to assume somebody wants to do more with the name every now the and then every now and then somebody will come along with a real hot you know a, you know a little bit of a lather <laughs> about uh, about wanting to do something, and I'm and I, I've if I had done a better job with the book, I think it would have sold the idea to somebody. I've, I've started trying to go back through all the notes, for all the things that didn't make it into the book, and see if there's a collection of short stories uh, that I might be able to pull together that uh, would would lend itself to that. But it it's uh, the set would be so easy for a real movie maker. To throw together what with the you know the the buildings out at the airport, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right. Uh, it's it, it's it's really made for it. Uh, it. Going through all of the going through the list of all of the people that played there, uh, and trying to find a few, you know, that could represent that uh, is a real tough thing. I think my my best versions have always turned it around and and uh, and come up with. Uh, a preferred way to do it with uh, just original music and and uh, iconic uh, uh, types. And every time I'll, I'll I'll get a I'll get one good th thought. Somebody important to it, like Charlie Daniels, will die. 
You know, mm. Charlie could have lived another 10 years, God damn it. <laughs> you know? yeah. It would be a music licensing nightmare, right? Yeah. Is that part well, of the problem uh, of making a film? Either, about- either that or it would be a, a music licensing piece of cake. Because one of the things that uh, that stood out in my studies from all of that was that the best way to be able to pull all that stuff together is under the umbrella of a documentary, so that you're not try- you don't want to use you know twenty or thirty minutes of Frank Zappa stuff. You mm-hmm. want to use six or eight minutes of twenty people. That cuts it down into a into a, a documentary format that's much easier to license. Okay. And surely you've been approached about a documentary. Like, they, like you said, they come in, they lather up, and it, it fades, I guess. Well, that's what the Shuley, uh, Gary Keller, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. that's the umbrella that that needs to fall under. Uh, For those who don't know, Gary Keller, the, the, the real estate giant, has been incredibly generous in saving numerous music projects and venues around this town. Very, very generous, and, and, and Nick Shuley is a mutual friend who, who works with him trying to orchestrate a lot of those efforts. Yeah. I'll probably stand in the way more than I should <laughs> because it's, so? uh, it's like I don't really want to come out of retirement. The offers that have been made have always been a little bit like somebody wanting to sleep in my bed while I'm off at work, you know, <laughs> and I got to come home and do what a great image, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, not. Uh, yeah, it had never it had never come across from somebody that I thought uh, I thought could really hit it out of the park. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 we have you know I've got some great footage of all of these guys. I've got footage of Charlie Daniels talking about how wonderful we were to the acts and how we would pack up their buses with food for them to leave town with and go across the country and how they would just over and over be astonished at, at uh, you know the the hospitality and the generosity and all that 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 uh, we were we were known for. One key to success: feed the musicians, yeah. <laughs> feed yeah. the artists, do their yeah. laundry too if you can. Yeah, well, we we did we did a lot of we did a lot of stuff that was uh, unheard of. I've never been easy enough to work with <laughs> to to, uh, to facilitate that happening. I, maybe it's just an expression that I get when somebody comes up with yet the umpteenth dumb idea that's mm. like all the others. Do you do you feel like it? Part of it is protecting the authenticity of what it stood for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It could get butchered easily. Absolutely, right? by Hollywood. Absolutely, it could be. It could be just you know. It could be the biggest embarrassment of my life. Hmm. Anyhow, we we're real proud of what we of what we did, and uh, about three quarters ashamed of what we didn't pull off. Because, <laughs> but but by the same token, you know, yeah, you look around. That friend I was talking about in Houston has the sweetest way of calling me the the minister of Austin culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, some folks uh, some folks express it really well, and some folks uh, don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. That's what it ought to be like. I mean, it, and and it, a lot of it has to do with age. A lot of it has to do with, you know, people being raised on, on Hollywood's version of this, that, and the other. Right. Uh, and so it's uh, hard, hard to hold it against somebody for not... Uh, you know, not thinking that I'm seven feet tall when I'm only five four. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, on that note, I think we'll, we'll wrap this up. Eddie, it's been a pleasure. Thank well, you thank for you. coming in it's here. It's been a gift. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll say it again because uh, pick up the memoir about Armadillo World Headquarters by Eddie Wilson. It's uh, Make oh. you a deal on a hundred of them. <laughs> It just, I just uh, gave a copy to a, a friend of mine who's new here, moved here a year ago. I said, if you want to understand how our culture got to where it is in the, and why we're a music town, this will explain it all. He can't stop talking about it. He just finished reading it. All right, good. good yeah, yeah. Good. So definitely pick that up. Thank you, Eddie. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Austin Found. A call to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to go order that book and order it for all of your friends, uh, go to threadgills.com and pick that up. All right. Again, thank you, Eddie. Uh, we sure appreciate your time and your well, contributions you. to Austin. Well, thank you. And, uh, and uh, this is Austin Found. Thank you. Happy trail.